Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Rain podcast. Our guest this week is the accomplished horsewoman, Stacy Westfall. Now, I use the term accomplished very conservatively. Stacy has competed at reigning, was a 2006 winner of Road to the Horse, was inducted into the Cowgirl Hall of Fame in 2012. She's been featured in numerous Western publications and currently hosts the Stacy Westfall podcast, which we are huge fans of here at Let Freedom Rain. Stacy has traveled the world doing public speaking events, horse expositions, demonstrations, and teaching alike. For all information related to Stacy, visit stacywestfall.com. That's S T A C Y W E S T F A L L.com. You can find her on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, all under Stacy Westfall. In this episode, we spend a lot of time peeling back the layers and understanding the why of horsemanship and discussing some of the common hurdles one would have to overcome in their pursuit of education. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platforms of your choice would mean the world to us. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with amazing horsewoman, Stacy Westfall. You know, it's kind of interesting because I actually had a pretty quiet year planned. Last year, I made a really public and documented kind of a goal at the beginning of the year to do a lot of showing with my horses, mm-hmm. which I hadn't done for quite a while. I hadn't, hadn't been showing for quite a while because of a, a lot of different changes that had gone on. And I had decided to really jump back in and, and do a lot of showing. So last year for me was like show, 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 and learn all the lessons that that has. And then going into this year, I wanted to do like a 180, and I had said – you know, from the beginning of the year, I want to create four new online teaching classes and I want to mostly trail ride my horses. I might do a little bit. I'd like to stick my toe in the water in working equitation. Mm -hmm. And depending on, depending on like, I just wanted to leave it up in the air and just see what I kind of felt like. But I decided I wanted to do, um, like maybe I'd pursue getting my silver medal in dressage, but a lot of them, they were, instead of them being the primary focus, the showing and that kind of stuff had become like, yeah, maybe I'll get to that, but I'm going to work on my online stuff. So yeah. in a way, the nice thing about having that plan is I'm still at home working on that online stuff, but yeah. It's quite the learning curve, you know, because uh, I've had some conversations as of recent uh, with mentors of mine and, and they talk a lot about Hey, you know, the podcast is growing. It, it's got a decent foundation, you know, and, and now you need to start branching out into these other endeavors, uh, as far as different, different approaches online. And it's for me, I'm not, and most people in the horse industry, right? We're not necessarily technology people. So sometimes, uh, it's quite a learning curve to overcome, you know, but the advantageous side of things is just the reach, right? I mean, you could set up and do all your work literally from your place and reach all over the world and helping people out and designing different courses or, or the reception of different content that you produce. Yeah. You know, one thing that's really, it's, it's always beneficial to me when I can bring it back to super personal. And so for me, the, 
motivating factor because on one hand, like I look around and I'm like, there's so much amazing content out there. I could talk myself out of making content really easily because I would love to just get on my horse and go trail ride. But the thing that motivates me the most when I go to produce the content is that I have a, a, I have people that want to come ride with me because one thing that's interesting as everything moves online, and I get this question sometimes is, you know, what's the future of the horse industry with so much moving online? Well, the physical riding with someone and that physical hands-on and that being in the room, there's a difference. I mean, there's always been concerts and you can go, you can, you can buy the, you can you can download the music and listen to it at home or you can go to a concert and it's yeah. the same music yeah. but it's two different experiences and i get that so what motivated me this year was more a frustration that people would come and ride with me and i really 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 truly want to support them when they go home and the dvds and stuff aren't quite dynamic enough to be able to add one more video, add one more module, add one more little twist, like, oh, so Martina, you're having trouble with that one. There's this one little piece that if I can show it to you at the right time, it will shift the way you're looking at this. And so that's what motivated me to take it online this year as my number one goal to be able to support the people that come. And then that gives me a place to operate from. And, And yes, for sure, what it also does is opens up the door to everybody else who you know, somebody in Germany who's, you know, been watching and following and listening. But since I have people bring their own horses, that's going to be really hard for somebody. I'd say some that's a little somewhere. bit of a shipping fee. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a big ask right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's funny. I've seen the, sh- the shift as well, right, in the production of DVDs, right, when the VHSs and DVDs were, you know, the thing. And then now it's moving on to these online subscriptions and portals. And I feel that a lot of the video production for the VHS DVD side of it is is somewhat scripted, right? You want everything to be right on the first take because you probably got a decent sized crew out there helping you and it all costs money and there's this huge production involved. But now with as easy it is, you know, with GoPros and iPhones and, and having a friend over, uh, it's easier to film. There's less, less money that's, that's thrown into it. But what I like it is there's so many variable presentations like you talk about when you go out and ride with your friends. You know, you might just be along for a ride and, and some scenario presents itself, whether it be some kind of animal running in front of the horse or some kind of terrain change, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That you might not have gotten if you had that produced DVD. And those are the moments when, when people are getting into that sticky situation, more of a natural riding environment. Uh, then you can really, really focus on tweaking people's horsemanship and really – improve the value of the content produced or the value of the message being sent. Yes. It's totally all fun agree. stuff. Definitely. So let's get into, I want to touch on before we get into your history. Uh, I always try to get uh, some other podcast hosts on throughout the year, just because uh, I'm a huge fan of, of very, very, very many uh, different equine industry podcasts. What I love about the Stacy Westfall podcast is your drive to answer why in your pursuit of understanding horses and the human understanding the horse. And I know we recently had a dialogue. You, you published an episode regarding the hot horse and Mm -hmm. I literally had goosebumps through the entirety of that episode because everything that you spoke of was experiences that I had shared with the horse. And it's just great to have access to horsemen and women of your caliber and 
what your show kind of portrays is that more intimate one-on-one conversation that you would have with somebody, you know, just maybe after, after riding, putting up the horses in the barn versus what we might get from an expo, right? Or, or a clinic or something like that. So let's talk a little bit about your history in the podcast world and kind of what your show has to offer as far as the Stacey Westfall podcast. Yeah, well, well, thank you for all that. Um, when I started the podcast, <laughs> I podcast from my closet. So this is why it has such a um, up close and personal feel because <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's me sitting in the closet. Now, it's interesting because I, I, I love that people will send in questions and in a way I'm doing the same thing that I was just speaking about doing in the online courses. I'm, I'm, I'm running into a question that people have asked or I'm out in the barn riding and I'm thinking because that is, I just love, you know, all these thoughts come up when I go out and ride my own horses. And I think I, well, I know because I had a lady stop by the house a while ago and she's kind of at the beginning of the horse journey and has a lot of, she's a, she's a not doesn't live too far away from me. And so she's kind of a neighbor down the road and, and we talk and, and she's kind of at the beginning, and she asked me one day, and you can tell she's sticking her toe, I can tell she's sticking her toe in the water because she said, are you sure it's still the same even after you know all that stuff? And the question she's trying to put words to is, do you lose the magic when you know that much? Yeah. And that's what she's trying to ask me. And I am almost desperate <laughs> to convey Oh no, it gets better. You have it no idea what you're stepping better. into. It yeah. gets better and better and better. And and it's it's so interesting because I can totally identify where she's coming from that when you it's almost the same question if somebody said to you like you see somebody do a, a magic trick with a with a cards and you're like, "Whoa, how did you do that magic trick?" And there's that you know, do you really want to know how to do the magic trick or do you want to leave the magic there? And if you know how to do the the trick, does the magic get, and it's these kind of thoughts. And, and it's just exciting to me because I literally, I go out there and the, I totally love when I read, I've been reading a lot of dressage books lately and you read about this master that pursued excellence in dressage for years and years and they're 90 years old and they're on their deathbed and they're like, I'm so close to figuring it out. <laughs> and you're like, I love it. I love the idea that the further we go, the, the, the more you realize how much more there is and yet it gets better, not yeah, more frustrating. Yeah. So, and that's been that's it for what me. I'm doing. I go to the barn and then I come back into the bar- house and I like record something from that's that place. Awesome. It's, it's been, it's been my experience as well, right? Uh, the further you go into any endeavor, you almost realize like you got to peel back the layers and get better at all these little fine steps, right? To make the one big step move and work. Yeah. And for me, it's that draw is just the challenge of how good can I get for my horse, right? Can I, mm-hmm. can I catch what they're saying that much sooner, that much quicker? Can I deliver the message that much more concise and yep. improve my timing? Can I be that much softer? Can I be that much easier in my cues? And, uh, I don't know. For me, I'll never, I'll never, there'll never be a day on this earth that I'll say I got this figured out with the horse stuff. And I, I truly enjoy that pursuit of seeing how much you can figure out. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. That's what I tell people. They all got the answer. Sometimes we just don't know the combinations, right? <laughs> That's right. And one thing that you just said there that I really like is that like a lot of times 
like you can figure this out in multiple areas. So I'll have people come and ride with me and they'll, they'll be a version of frustrated, whether it's, you know, just a little bit or a lot. And it's like, wait a minute, you're probably, you know, pretty skilled in some area of your life and you'll find out you're dealing with somebody who's incredibly skilled in a different area of their life. Like maybe, um, you know, a nurse that does mm-hmm. these amazing things with patients and tackles these problems that would leave me in a puddle. And all I, I'm like, oh, let's just figure out how to transfer that pursuit that you had over there that made you figure this stuff out, gave you that confidence and that power and everything. Let's just, you already have the skill. Let's just figure out how to apply the thinking skill from what it took to get over there to what it takes to get over here. And yeah, there's different physical skills to master, but boy, if you can have that mastery of the mental skill, uh, then you really open up the doors to move fast. And that's what, that's been my personal, uh, Personally, that's been my biggest draw with the horse is that it's such an incredible vehicle to reintroduce people to themselves, right? Yeah. And uh, a lot of what I've done uh, is trying to help the law enforcement and military world. It's something that strikes near and dear to me. And same exact thing, right? You have these individuals that went over and fought in war or special forces or in elite assignments, you know, domestically with, with law enforcement. And I tell them all the time those careers will change you. It's inevitable. It is going to happen. It will change you as a person, but the skill set and what you are is still there. Mm -hmm. And yes, all this life experience might've suppressed a lot of that or, or depressed portions of it. Right. But we can use the horse in a non-threatening manner to go out. And what we think is working on the horse and find out in return that we're actually working on ourselves. And we can reintroduce that same exact person, that same exact youthful, intelligent, sharp, individual, whatever drove them to take that first step in whatever their endeavor was, whether it was law enforcement or military or working in a hospital or an emergency setting, uh, emergency services setting, uh, that person still exists. Now it might be buried deep down inside of you, but that horse is going to be able to figure it out and pull it out of you. And just yep. with due time and, and a little bit of reflection, we can get there. That's right. It's incredible. It is. So let's give listeners a little context as to who you are and what you've done. You have a very, very, very decorated resume. You have traveled literally the world in pursuit of horsemanship, but let's get a little bit of a snapshot of how you got your start and kind of the progression through your career. And I have quite a few points that I want to talk about as far as what makes Stacy Westfall, Stacy Westfall. Um, but let's just start out with your, your early start in horses and, and we'll see where that goes from there. Yeah. So there's moments and I think everybody as you live longer and longer on this earth, at some point you have these experiences where you look up and you go like, wow, how did I get here? And I have that fairly regularly with this career because um, a current leap I'm trying to make in my own mind is I have identified as the little girl from Maine who dreamed about doing things with horses, first dreamed of being a horse. I remember being a child that galloped around and and wanted to act like a horse and then really, really thought that if I believed hard enough, I could become one. And then, you know, at some age, I don't know, probably eight or something like that, like I finally was like, okay, apparently that's (laughs) not going to pan out. I'm not going to actually grow some extra legs. And, and so then it shifted to just, I just want to be immersed in horses. I just, everything horses I can do, like that was just a direction. And so 
you know, fast forward, there's the thing I'm trying to bring together now is there's times when I can identify with her way faster than I can identify with who I currently am right now that it seems way more evident to people looking (laughs) at me as to who I am. But but it's bringing those two together because I think much like the friend down the road, the neighbor friend down the road, there's this piece of me that's a little bit afraid it's because I don't I don't want to say give up the little girl because that's not what the, not the way that I look at it, but I can feel I haven't fully integrated into like I really did all that stuff, <laughs> and I can still remember when I was like I have no idea what just happened there and I nearly got killed and you know and there's just this I actually love holding I love holding those two almost contradictions at the same time. And so there's a part of me that's like, you know, almost struggles to embrace some of the, some of the titles and all the different decorations because they're sort of just like, yeah, I don't know what, I I haven't decided what to make them mean yet, except I'm still on the journey. We will always be right forever, forever a student. Yeah, That's impressive. I I can take a little dive at this though. So the, the very short version is that little girl, that had that experience then turned into a teenager who rode horses and, you know, in whatever door opened up, whatever that was. Um, so I did, my mom and I used to pay, I think it was $20 a day. My mom paid, so I don't remember quite as clearly. And we would go to open horse shows and we would have English clothes and we would pull on jeans over the top of them. And we would show in like, if you paid $20, you could enter all like 68 classes during the day. Oh, <laughs> and we would just go in like all of them. We had like no idea what we were doing. God we literally mom, were like, that had to be I some have... long days. Oh yeah. And when I remember the first horse shows I went to, we didn't have a trailer I and mean, we didn't have a trailer for years because I used to clean houses to be able to get hauled by the people whose house I was cleaning to go to the shows. But I also remember the first shows that we went to, we um, rode, we got up in the morning and rode several miles down the road to like the local church field where they had not kidding like temporary fence posts with your like a the, the old version of like electro braid just like rope yeah. just like rope yeah. made this arena and we would show in this arena like that and of course I had a pony so like my whole show was like try to get her to not eat grass <laughs> and you know and so it was and then, but it was just literally, it had nothing to do with the outcome of the show. It was a hundred percent just, oh my gosh, you mean we can play all day for $20 and go in and like somebody's going to tell us something like, oh, well, I got a ribbon. I must have been close. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and, and then in high school, a college teacher changed the direction of my life when I was a junior. He was a math teacher by actually just a simple question of, he had like 15 minutes of time to kill at the end of math class. And he started going around the room desk by desk saying, what are you going to do when you graduate? What are you going to do when you graduate? And he got to me and I said, I wrote kind of, you know, insert teenager eye roll. I'm like, I don't know, go to school for accounting or something. And he was like, why is that? And I said, because I want to ride horses and you can't go to school for that. And he said, get up right now, go upstairs to the guidance counselor's office, which is where they kept all the college books because this was pre-internet. And he was like, don't come back till you find one that offers horses and, you know, a few more. I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. And I went upstairs and found the University of Finley, which is where I graduated from. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. So going, like learning that that was a door that was even possible because I was in Maine, very far east. 
the only things I ever saw for horses were racing, which you'd see on, you know, you'd see racing like the Kentucky Derby mm-hmm. or you'd see it at your local fairgrounds like harness racing and dressage at the Olympics. I didn't even know there was a world outside of that. <laughs> so coming out to the University of Finley in Ohio, and I say that because I was in Maine and now here I sit in Ohio, coming out to Ohio to the University of Finley was a massive eye-opener just because all of a sudden I've got instructors that have world titles in things I didn't even know existed, like the cutting horse world or the reining world, or I didn't even know these things existed. So It's yeah. incredible when you get into a program and, and kind of talking about you know, that teacher's influence as far as directing you to go up, hey, find a school that you're passionate about that offers what you want to, what you want to pursue. Uh, it's incredible when you, and this can go for any number of directions or fields, when you can find a truly invested mentor, right? Somebody that is genuinely happy for your success or, or yeah. thrives on developing that success. I recently had, I had a conversation yesterday with a mentor of mine and we talked about things and business options in the horse world. I never even, knew existed, never even considered them one single bit, didn't even know that they were on the table, you know, and we talked about how work ethic can sometimes happen in vain. And and I've never been short on it. But if it's not pointed in the right direction, or if it's not pointed in a focused direction, Mm -hmm. uh, you could run around that track a 100,000 times and never achieve anything and and use a fraction of that effort with the right intention with the right focus and achieve so much more. Yeah, and that's, that's such a good point you bring up. And it just makes me want to say again, it's like literally everyone listening to the podcast has the opportunity to change someone's entire life with a question. Yeah. That is mind-boggling How to me. powerful is that, right? I mean, six, seven, eight words. Incredible. Yeah. It, it is incredible. Ask me the question and then challenge my my first thought on it. Yeah. Just literally, just challenge the thought, like, go see if you can. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's the thing too, is it in, in any pursuit of education or growth, you know, I think we as individuals, and you kind of talked about it as far as, you know, finding your identification as far as, you know, your view as a world as a young girl pursuing these horses and now all these accolades and things that you've achieved, uh, kind of the adult version, right. Of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, <clears throat> I think more times than not, we get in our own way whether we're conscious of it or not. You know, sometimes you just got to step out and just say, I don't know, let's see what happens and go from there. It's funny that you phrase it like that because that's actually the revelation that I just had that I'm trying to step into is, you know, you were talking about business mentors and stuff, and I read a ton of business books and self-development books and all these different things and always, always have, like, Back in the day, we'd stop at Cracker Barrel, driving somewhere with horses, and rent the books that you could rent and listen to. And, you know, family would fall asleep while I'm driving, you know, because we did a lot of overnights and stuff and overnight driving with kids and horses in the car, just listening to all these different books. But I actually found myself back in this loop where I was almost criticizing myself right now for not being more specific at a direction. For example, Stacy, why aren't you just focused on reining? Yeah. Stacy, why aren't you just focused on, you know, what, what, whatever, like, you know, people know you for bareback and bridles. Why don't you just focus on that? Because every business book says pick something and really yeah, focus on exactly. it. Exactly. And I found that I was 
beating myself up, which is, uh, by the way, always a great way to recognize that something's going wrong in your thinking. <laughs> you should <laughs> really look at that flag. when you start noticing you're the one <laughs> applying this. And so I was like, wait a minute. Why am I? F- yes, I read this in books. And yes, I even understand where the books are coming from because it did help me to focus on reigning specifically for years. And it did help me to to hone my skills in different areas like that. But right now, the stage I'm at is literally what you just put words to. This last year, I was like, you know what? I'm a grown-up version of what my little girl dream was, which was do everything I can touch with horses. And yeah. you know what I have right now? The ability to do anything I want to touch with horses. So if I say I want to go do dressage, the only thing standing in my way is my own brain. Yeah. Because you know what? I threw a dressage saddle onto my quote-unquote reigning pony because she's 14 – she she measured as a pony for the USEF, and I earned her USDF. I earned my bronze with her last year. Like, it's a quarter horse pony that's, you know, <laughs> the only thing standing in my way is my own limitations. Yes, yes And you know yes. what I'm going to do for the next few years while I'm able-bodied and able-mind and whatever? I'm going to pursue every little girl thing that I ever wanted to with horses. And if that's riding a gated horse or a Frisian or a mini or a quarter horse in a dressage class or I'm doing it. You know, it's funny. I just, I just had that same exact thought yesterday and in my pursuit of where do I fit in, in this horse world, right? How can I give back? How can I better serve? What do I want to do with, with my horsemanship? And I thought just about that, like, I wonder how many, I wonder if it's even possible how many different breeds and disciplines can I cover in my lifetime? Just just for the yeah. sake of experience, right? Exactly. I, I I know I'm not going to be a world champion. I don't want to be a world champion. I don't want to be an Olympic gold medalist. I, that's that's just not in my realm right now of of what I think I can do with horses. But mm-hmm. I never thought the horse had to offer what they've offered me to this point. And yeah. I am a fraction of a percentage down the road in that journey. Why not? You know, I think oftentimes we ask ourselves, well, why should we? Well, why shouldn't we? Right. Why don't we ask that question? You know, it's it's crazy. It is. If I had had to write down the things I've achieved right now at this point, if I had had to 10 years prior to achieving them, had to have been able to predict them, I would have limited myself. Isn't it crazy how that works out? Yeah, such a backwards-looking view that makes so much more sense. You're like, well, of course you didn't know you were going to be able to do that because you couldn't do that when mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. you couldn't until you could. Yeah, and I think and the, the so, greatest uh, the greatest success in that platform that I've found right is that uh, we all have to have goals, right? It's you have yeah. to set expectations. It has to be done. I think oftentimes we set them at such a level that we set ourselves up for failure, right? Whether that might yeah. be choosing a goal that's too lofty, maybe it's choosing a goal that's not necessarily in the right direction or the right focus. Uh, but if we took that same focus and energy and fervor that we have for achieving a goal and placed it on process and had that drive and that focus on the process, and maybe that process just being one, 1% better today in the barn, maybe even 1% better today as a human being, and really focus on the process day in and day out. I think you can work a heck of a lot harder. And before you know it, you're going to look up and that goal or that achievement is going to be pretty close on the horizon. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because uh, the course, the online course that I'm currently editing right now, 
is actually on setting goals and problem solving. Yeah. And the mod, the first module is having an impossible goal. Mm-hmm. And the idea that actually having an impossible goal is a beginning point because you, you've got to have an aim and a direction. And so yes. one of the things that came up was like, I look at my dreams, for example, what you and I just said, like, hey, I, I just want, I want to learn a ton about horses. Okay, well, that's kind of a dream and a direction. So that dream kind of points me in a direction. But then I'm going to pick a goal that would lead in that direction. You know, it's like if my dream is like everything to do with horses, well, going to car mechanic school might not, you know, be looking like it's headed in that direction. So it's like, wait, there's a whole bunch of stuff I can do in the horse world. So I want to learn a ton about horses. Like you just said, like it could be every other, I want to learn about, you know, 10 different breeds this year. Well, then you just pick something that almost seems impossible for this year. Like, like I want to learn about 10 different breeds this year and like, as in ride them and experience them and whatever, however you define that. But there is this dance between setting something that feels impossible and then putting that process in. And that's what those other modules coming after that in there are. It's like, is basically the dance between that, that dream that turns into a goal and the process, but not losing that dream and that ability to cycle back around. So. Yeah. yeah. And I've often had a time, uh, an issue with it. And I, I convey it as, as, uh, being paralyzed by preparation. Sometimes mm-hmm. I place so much time and emphasis and thought into how to make this perfect before I take that first step rather than like you talked about, I have a general direction. I have a general focus. I have a general dream. Let's just take a step and see where it goes. And then we'll make a decision after that step's made and see if we need to go in the same direction or go in a different direction. And, and I've had many challenges in my life and just taking that first step because I'm so worried about making everything perfect to be so advantageous, to be so efficient, to be so correct that, that it's almost a hindrance. It really is. Oh yeah. Last year, that was one of the interesting things about publicly setting a goal to do as much showing as I did and then documenting it kind of like video vlog style on, on YouTube all year from, well, from February till September. And I think I started launching the videos in April. So there was an episode every week from April through September on a playlist called the trail to the world show. And what was really interesting was doing exactly what you just said. It was like, I had to, I had to make the declaration and then dive into the deep end. And you can see me showing up at these shows and being like really out of my element in, you know, the different clothing and the different lingo and the different, like I remember one of the shows I went up to the warm up pen and it was cold. And so I was all dressed and I had my, my winter hat on and I'm riding around in the warm up pen and the ring steward walks over and she's like, ma'am, you need your helmet. And I'm like, huh, I totally feel like I'm breaking like, the rules I signed up for because yeah. I have something on my head. It just happens to be a winter hat and I'm not used to the rule of, you know, helmet or don't be mounted. And so I, I know I'm walking into these places and I know I'm making mistakes and I know that just from the cultural difference between the different shows that I'm, I know I'm also breaking like show warm up etiquette and I'm like standing in the corner and I'm like deciding like, Okay, who's the trainer in this arena right now who's coaching the most client who's who's coaching clients that I can identify them and riding over and being like, Hi, 
My name is Stacy Westfall. I do not understand Anything. the show ring, yeah. the, the warm up etiquette. Please tell me how to stay out of the way. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that is way harder than you would think because people are like, but you're Stacy Westfall. I'm like, it's really hard to do that. And so taking action and then, you know, yeah, it was quite the process last year just documenting it, just to be able to say, and people, people, the feedback was worth it. It's because absolutely people would be courageous. like, oh my gosh, it's so nice to yeah. know you feel like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it shows the human side of things, and that's kind of one of the biggest draw in, in this show. And what we try to convey is, is yes, many of the guests are, are incredibly accomplished, right? But they're humans. They had decisions to make at some point. They they met crossroads. They fell on their face. They've recovered, you know, uh, and that's what we try to convey here in this show. And and what's most commendable, and we talked about it in, in a couple previous episodes, is that it, I, I felt it. That feeling of intimidation in that warm-up pen is because there's not necessarily the genuine care for invitation like there should be. And if we took a more offensive approach in inviting people into our different circles, whether than, you know, hey, you're a jumper, hey, you're a rainer, hey, you're a cutter. Hey, if you're here and you're new, come on over. Let's try this. Let's figure it out. We'll show you the way, you know, and if you know any of this stuff, let me know. Um, if we were far more inviting in that realm, generally speaking, in the horse world, I think it's absolutely incredible to think of what horsemanship could become as just a baseline education for people. Yeah, it was really interesting to echo off what you're saying. It was really interesting because when I did do that, I then identified myself as open to suggestion. And I identified myself that, you know, who's going to know that I'm not there with a different trainer or with a different whatever. Nobody wants to step on any toes. As soon as I started, as soon as I took that step to open up, it was amazing how open because you know, dressage is definitely one of those areas that has a bit of a stigma attached to, you know, being snobby or yeah, something stuffy. like that. And mm-hmm. it opened up to be the warmest. You know, I laughed because I'd get there in the morning and be like, this looks like a slumber party because, okay, you've got these white <laughs> breeches that you're trying to keep clean. Yeah. So I would walk into the bar in the morning and be like, whoa, like everybody's got their PJs on. But what they did was they all had on something over their white that a lot of times they pulled on like something that looked like PJs yeah. and I was cracking up. I'm like, really? I go to my raining shows and we're like dressed up behind the scenes and then we're dressed up in a different dress up in front yeah. of the scenes. Yeah. And like here, yeah. I'm like, here we look like it's a pajama party in the back and then it looks like you're at a formal wear in the front. Yeah, oh, that everybody's suited and booted. Up. That's hilarious. But they were so warm as, as soon as I like identified myself as being like, hey, I'm here, I'm winging it and I'm open like do I have all the right stuff on before I walk in? I don't need to be disqualified because I missed something. So I'd be walking up and ask a complete stranger. I'm like, do I look fully dressed? Cause <laughs> it feels like I'm missing something. Well, I don't even, I mean, I'm used to having like jeans and chaps or chinks on. So I yeah, feel like yeah. kind of like heavy. And now I've got breeches on, which is not yeah. anywhere. <laughs> even close like, in the spectrum. Yeah. Feeling kind of naked here. And, and so I'm like, I feel like I'm forgetting that. Like, no, honey, you're fine. Go. <laughs> Thank so you. when you talk about when you talk about uh, uh, being more open, do you think that did you maybe have a feeling of being less critical of yourself once you once you took that offensive approach to to finding help versus oh I don't want to offend anybody or I don't want to get in the way or am I dressed correctly or do I have the the proper equipment? I wish I could tell you that it got easier right after I said that, 
But the biggest thing was that it was like I, I took that step and probably the biggest thing it did to me was it made me like take a deep breath and remember that I'm a human and I'm doing this and I'm going through things and that person over there who has that really serious look on their face might have that really serious look on their face because they're getting ready to go in the class and maybe it's not because they think that they that I just cut them off. Yeah, like yeah. it's amazing how you you start spinning these stories in your own head. And by taking some action, it reminded me that I have a lot of like I can do this. I'm I'm a human. I can speak to the other human. If they're having a problem, they can speak to me. Like if they want to tell me that I I cut them off or something like yeah. They yeah. also have the power to be able to do that. And so it was that reminder. But for me, it didn't um, – even though I showed all year last year, I can't say that at the end of the year that I ever got to the same comfort level that I have at like a raining show where it feels like, you know, a fish in water, like I've done it yeah, for you're in your decades. And so the – the you know, the what and what it really comes down to is it comes down to those – those super subtle cues, which is exactly what we're after with our horses. Like we want to be able to read their body language, like with excellence and the body language and some of the different things that go on were just the, a little bit different. And I just haven't literally, it's just lack of immersion. Like if I, the more I went, the more comfortable I got, but just being able to separate the discomfort inside myself Okay, for example, the feeling of being naked, like underdressed, like I'm yeah, forgetting yeah. something. Being able to separate that feeling from the fact that the woman riding around in the warm-up pen that has a really serious look on her face doesn't mean that I did it to her because I'm already over here self-doubting myself to pieces. The urge to place that over onto somebody else's experience, it's just, I think it's just that was one of the whole things of last year was like, it was a walking self-practice in not doing that. Isn't it funny how you have to you have to actually place it in the forefront of your thought process to to overcome anything, right? Is you have to place that emphasis <laughs> in that focus, and it has to be a daily a daily habit, a daily pursuit. Yeah, and it was it was just a really it was oh it was so fun, but it was it was a it was very cool because it put all the mind stuff in the forefront while at the same time I was still trying to accomplish all the horse stuff that I was practicing at home. And it was so much easier to identify with what my customers and students are going through because they're going through that when they show up at my venue. Yeah. What a great perspective for you. They feel feel. out of water. They feel lost and they feel like that. And I'm like, take a deep breath because you are your student right now. So, yeah. But what a great chance for you to offer so much more because now you have that perspective to teach from, right? Mm-hmm. You felt that feeling. You know how to support them through that. You know how to move them along. You know how, if they're getting stuck or feeling down or feeling isolated with it that you can now you can now sit in the saddle and say, I've been there, done that, right? And that's <laughs> yeah. the biggest thing with a lot of this horse world. And that was my experience early on is it? it's hard to define credibility with the sheer volume of material and quote unquote experts out there. Right. But Mm -hmm. those that I, and this is just my experience, but those around me that try to help me, you know, focus on me. uh, Those are generally the people that are more genuine in their approach of mentorship. uh, Cause when you put a dollar sign behind anything, uh, motivations change and intentions change, and then it just kind of muddies the water. 
Yeah, it's been quite the it's it, it's um, it's and when you say the dollar signs, it's it's one thing that popped up into my mind was it's really interesting because like in the show world, which is funny that I'm talking about it that much, except for that it was like something I did very publicly last year, but I adore trail riding and stuff. But it was interesting going into a show world like dressage where we, the joke was that like you show and you win a ribbon. So at our reigning shows, you typically are winning money. Yeah. And so as you're winning money, it's interesting to, to, to explore some of the different lingo, different thoughts, different things that come up. It, it, it was just fun to be in this world where I'm like, you know, like, so the reigning fraternity, somebody's going to run for the reigning fraternity finals for $150,000, but our, but, but you're going to go watch somebody do, um, you know, one of these big national dressage type events and they're going to get a ribbon. Like they're not running for $150,000 like you are in the reigning. And so it was, it brought up. And for some reason, when you just mentioned money, it just, it was fascinating just to keep exploring how all of these things are woven together and how different people's, Different industries are built with different outcomes and goals. So a lot of times when you look at dressage horses, and I just remember listening to an Olympic announcement once, and they were like, this person has this amazingly young horse that they're showing, and and I forget exactly, but it was like a 12-year-old or something. It was like 10, 12, or what? And it was Mm -hmm. like, I remember from the Western world being like, what? Yeah, that's a grandpa horse. <laughs> and, and so even though I don't remember the exact age, when you start looking around at the ages of a lot of the yes. horses like yes. that, what's super cool about it is that you can start to try to tease apart. And then the, the game here is like, try not to make money evil, but tease apart what the influence of money does to the people involved and what the choices that the people involved make yeah. due to money. It is incredible. And it and it's and it's such a mind twist because you know, it's like so many different angles to look at right there. <laughs> it's a lot. It really is a lot because there's there's so many variables, right? You have people's level of education in the horse world, you have their intentions with business, you have their goals, right? And unfortunately some of us don't come with the most how do I put this nicely? Um nice intentions, I guess. You know, uh, there's some people that put that almighty dollar at the top and they don't care if they run a horse into the ground or run a human into the ground trying to get there. You know, they need to make money and and the horse is just a notch in the belt per se. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people that place so much emphasis on the horse that, you know, they might not be as successful to win that big check. But the way I framed a lot of this and and that drives my work with horses is that there's going to come a day when I have to answer to the care of that animal. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to have to make any excuse for why I didn't or why I should have, you know, I've only yep. been given so much money on this earth and time and education, but, uh, I feel it's my responsibility to be the best steward that I possibly can given my scenario and not, not have to wonder, Oh shoot, how am I going to have to answer this when my day comes? Yeah, I find it kind of ironic that I end up talking about showing as much as I do because I really, really, really... So I grew up, that little girl in Maine that showed in the 68 classes for $20, I 
I liked showing because the whole reason my mom and I went was because of the atmosphere that there were other people that loved horses. And it was a whole group of horses, all bunches of horses and horse people. And that's what I loved. Yeah. But when I graduated from the University of Finley, got married to my husband, and we started our career in horses, I said, my perfect world I never show. And he was happy to show. And I was like, I am more than happy to stay home and start colts, and I'll ride the 30, 60, 90-day horses. If I never go to the show, I'll be completely fine. Because I had been turned off by a lot of the unethical things that you can see at shows. Yeah. And now, technically, you can see unethical things anywhere with horses. I can go out into the state park behind me, and I can see somebody treating a horse in a way that I think is unethical. So it doesn't require showing to have that happen. But when you add the money and you add the prestige and you add those things, I will admit that it does seem like you increase the odds. Well, absolutely. So I find it kind of interesting now that there are times that I'm saying, if I had one thing to offer, because it is just as easy for me to turn around, go out back here and ride, I would, and I even wrote one of my, one of my emails that I, I remember sending out was like, guess which one I like more, arena work or trail work? You know, and, and it's interesting to see the responses that I get, because I don't tell them in that email, they have to wait till the next week to find out. And so, but I love trail riding. And I think they both, the two different things, they have two different things to offer. But when people have, I find it funny that I am in this position where I look like I'm very show-oriented because that's where you can measure so much of my quote-unquote success. Correct. Is with all these accolades or whatever. So it's like, it looks very measurable over there. But it's really interesting when, when I'm like, if you really don't like how the horse world if it let's say you really are opposed to the way that people treat horses in the show world there are all kinds of different options and one is to not go there but the one that i've chosen is to go there and to be the light i want to see show that the horses don't have to be overridden show that the horses don't have to be drugged show that you can go win something on your horse and go trail riding the day before or the day after show that this horse can go from event to event, discipline to discipline, including trail riding, including dismounting, putting my friend on and heading down the trail. Because I think that the diversity is offered there. And I think the show, the thing that shows have to offer that, that, that hasn't changed since I was a little girl is that when you get a whole group of people together that are that passionate about horses, the vast majority in the back barn of every horse show I've been to, every size, whether I'm at a world caliber thing or whether I am at a backyard 4-H thing, the vast majority, let's do the 80-20 rule, 80% are exactly there for all the right reasons. And if you let that 20% idea keep you away, you are missing out on an amazing community of people that are passionate about their horses. I love it. I love it. And it takes, it takes a strong individual to, to be motivated and courageous enough to step up and, and show people the change that they want to see, right? Because oftentimes that 20% tends to be the loud 20%. Oh yeah. Right. Tends to be the squeaky wheel 
of the entire group, right? Maybe they speak yeah. and they are the face, but they don't represent the mass. And uh, no. oftentimes that 80%, like you talked about, you just love to be with your horse and you love to do yep. right by your horse and you love to challenge your horse and you love that your horse challenges you. Um, yep. But finding, it's a delicate balance, right? You want to find the leverage to do the education justice but you don't want to get so over emotionally invested that you start to lean towards that 20%, right? And you start being For hypercritical sure. and you start, I don't know, maybe misrepresenting any given discipline or breed or maybe even yourself as a, as a business, right? It's tough. Oh yeah. Yep. For sure. So I want to get into, I want to get in this. I think it's a great segue. So much of your passion, so much of the education that you offer through your content is answering the why. So I am now going to turn it on you and ask you, why has that been your passion? It's who I am. It's who I've always been. I was the little girl who would ask why so many times that the adults would just tell you to stop asking why. And the the one that just makes me laugh every time I think about it is when I was at an equine college going to school, and those are expensive. <laughs> and and I would ask why so much that they were like, "Stop asking why." And I was yeah. like, I, I, "I'm paying you. I, I think this is like required." Yeah, but I'm pretty sure your paycheck so, says you're supposed to answer that. <laughs> exactly. So, but to me, the danger in this world is blindly following. Yes. Where is that not true? And what I so see echoed in my horses and so see echoed is life. It, I think this is God's gift to me, I know, is horses. And whatever the gift is to you that you view life through a lens where you can actually see the whole part of life instead of just only good or only bad. I can see good and bad in, in the horse world and I can see good and bad, but the, the gift to me was horses. And I want to know why I want to understand. I want to understand at a deep level, because as you've already said earlier, the deeper I understand this, the deeper I'm going to understand myself. And if I just blindly follow, if somebody just says, you know, when this happens, you just need to kick hard. Why? Yes. Because if I don't understand why, well, my timing is going to be terrible. And if I don't understand why, I won't even know if I agree with you. And if I don't understand why, I stand no chance of coming up with 16 other ways that this could be accomplished. So why do you think kicking right then is the better option? Because odds are you can answer that question, like for sure, like you can say, I'm here in Ohio. If I want to get to Florida, what's the shortest route? But if you just say, I'm in Ohio and I want to get to Florida, how many routes can you come up with? There's like so many different nuances to the ways that you ask the questions, to the ways that you can find the answers. And to me, I just love the play that comes in how many different angles I can approach this from. But why has to be at the bottom of it so I can start to tie all those together. So I can take my experience from one area of life and go, oh, why? They want me to, they're telling me to kick because they want more forward motion in the horse. They want more forward motion in the horse because movement is required. Movement is required because movement is going to bring up the problem 
that I've been having and the problem that I'm having actually has to do with, oh, I'm starting to see how this fits together. And I think you just demonstrated a phenomenal point that I wanted to touch on. When I'm the same student that you are, I ask why until it makes everybody sick to their stomach. But <laughs> I do so for that pursuit of understanding because, I mean, like I explain to people when they ask, you know, well, why is why is the why so important? Well, the why is so important. If you were a child and I told you don't cross the street and you didn't know why there were consequences or benefits to not crossing the street, then you may or may not do it. If I tell you don't cross the street because you're going to end up a hood ornament and you're going to end up in an ER <laughs> – and and all these horrific bad things can happen to you, that message is more strongly received with a greater picture of the total picture, right? Um, yeah. And I think somewhat in my experience, it's so easy to become a clinician or a trainer, right? If I go down and I print out a business card, that makes me a farrier. I never driven a nail in a horse's shoe a day in my life, but I could go out and sell myself as that and misrepresent myself, right? Mm -hmm. The breakdown in individuals not being able to answer why is because they themselves do not have that deeper understanding. If you do not have that deeper understanding, should you really be in the place to be giving that advice? And when folks like yourself, when you talk about why are we kicking, well, we're kicking to create forward motion, we're cre creating more impulsion, we're creating, you know, a horse with sticky feet, freeing up their mind, whatever, right? Uh, that's when you really can, as a consumer of the education or of the content, that's when you can really pour yourself and invest in somebody because there's there's motivations to all of this, good and bad. And understanding those mo motivations and being able to advantageously manipulate those motivations is where we can really push the envelope in this horsemanship and and not only improve the horse, but improve ourselves. Yeah, let's spin just a little bit further on that, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. So what I think is really interesting is that, so in the analogy of crossing the street, which I've I've used before also, so it's interesting because I think there's a stage of life where when you trust an adult or you're so young and so naive, let's say you're three years old, that I can't lecture to you as a three-year-old I can't really convey because you literally, your brain is not wired enough at that point to tell fiction from nonfiction. So you can watch a, you can, like, that's why little kids will talk to a television because they don't experience it as something different than real and now. So there's a growth that has to happen in their brain. And so what's, what's I think confusing to people is that on a level, they understand that at certain times there is an element of blind trust at, at times in, in life. That's why you throw a little kid up in the air and they like enjoy it. You throw me up in the air and I'm like screaming in terror. <laughs> like it's just not the Absolutely. same, it's the same yes. action, yes. completely different, different result. level of understanding. And it's a level of understanding. Like I'm like, holy cow, I could hit the ground. And the little kid is like, ah, this is fun. And I'm just, and so what's interesting to me in the horse world is that when you, when I watch people enter the horse world, it is too big an ask at the beginning to say to them, you need to find somebody with experience because they're like, what the heck does experience look yeah. like? Yeah. Because, I mean, if they watch a movie, they're like, okay, I watched the Black Stallion movie. That's how it's done because this is literally like me when I was a kid. I'm like, there's my dream right there. Bareback bridle is going to be on that horse. <laughs> and so, so you take somebody with no experience at all 
do you know what the most natural thing is? Especially in this day, you look up a video and you go, well, it looks like that person must know something. Because there is an element of, there is an element when you enter something that you, in a way, I mean, hopefully there's all kinds of ways because you can find a friend who knows something. There's all kinds of different paths, but let's just go down this one. We just say, you decide you want to take it up. So you do do a Google search and somebody pops up and you watch a few videos and it seems like they kind of have something to offer. And, and, and then you start down the path, but let's do this from the horse's point of view, because I, this is where my passion is. My, and so we do this from the horse's point of view. So I have a little Presto out here. He's my rescue horse. That I say rescue horse because he comes from a rescue group, but he comes from the Last Chance Corral, who does nurse mare foal rescue. So he's now four years old. Well, in the beginning of training Presto, I want him to look at me like a three-year-old child does. When I say don't cross the road, lecturing him is not going to go well. Correct. Because he doesn't understand. I can't convey to him tractor, trailer, truck is going to end badly for you. Yeah. I can't convey to him, you know, jumping over that direction. There are holes in the ground. I can't convey that to him. So I actually, the first stage with my horses, I actually do want to convey that I'm the leader and this is a little bit more of a blind trust situation. Like, you know, that leader in the herd with the other horse, but when that other horse says we got to go and you don't go like, I don't know, I'm not sure. Do we have to go now? You just go. I'm that leader. I want to instill that without intimidation, but I want to instill that because I want to be able to stop them. They're in a human world so much of the time. Like I'm sitting here looking out my window and there's a road right there and there are going to be people that are going to come by and there's going to be things that happen. And I want to be able to convey to this horse, when I say stop now, this could be a life or death thing. Stop now. But at the same time, I don't want to destroy their, I want to leave them able to think. So that means I need to do it without intimidation. I need to gain their respect without intimidation so I need to answer their questions consistently and without intimidation. But my st- I call that elementary school with the horses. But when we move into high school, what I noticed about raising my own kids and what I noticed with the horses is that in high school, if you want your kids to be able to leave home, they've got to push back a little bit, which means they can't be so intimidated that they won't push on you a little bit, which is an interesting thought because a lot of people don't want their kids to push at all. But the problem is they're going to have to go learn how to interact with that pushing back and forth somewhere. Well, I do that with my horses. I'm like, I want you, if I say drop now, like I, there's, a, there's a tone of voice that, you know, as a mom, I would say that I mom voice, like, that would get you every time. <laughs> that voice, that one needs to stop kids and horses in their track. Yeah. But that's not where I live. I don't use that voice every day or they'll get dull to it. But when I use it, buddy, they're all like, Yes. This is now. Now, the rest of the time, I'm very much more interactive, playful, and willing to do these conversations because the higher up the horse goes in the training, this is another one of those reverse things, the higher up they go when they go into high school, I want them asking more high-quality questions and more frequent questions. And the higher they go up into college, I want them just so comfortable with our working relationship that they're, they've got the comfort that I have when I show up at my raining show and I go, oh my gosh, this is like fish and water. I know exactly how all this is going to run. Where when I go to the dressage show, I'm like holding my breath because I'm yeah. not quite sure how it's going to go. Yeah. 
So I love that this is, can you hear how this is just life echoed through different experiences? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I recently had a conversation, I played baseball growing up and it was just that, right? When you first start out, it's just hit the ball or throw the ball. But by the time you start getting into semi-professional, professional ranks, I mean, you're asking questions about grip pressure on a baseball, the angle you hold a baseball, the angle you have your arm, what, you know, the timing of the release, like that same simple act that you were taught as a child of throw the baseball now has a thousand different questions that could be formulated before that baseball even leaves your hand. And, and there is a training progression and all of that because of the level of comprehensibility in the pupil, right? Uh, yeah. You want to... You want to challenge them appropriately, right? So we have a level of progression, but it's a fine line because if you don't challenge them appropriately, if you don't challenge them enough, they lose interest. If you challenge them too much, they're suppressed, right? So it yep. is it is a fine line. And you as the instructor, teacher, mentor, whatever, that individual with that experience, you have to have enough willingness to reflect in yourself to find out, am, am I correct? Am I pushing this individual or this horse enough? Do I need to push them more? Are they just done for the day? You know what? We're just having a bad day. This was very, very fundamental stuff that an individual should have gotten, but they're not getting it. So let's just pick it up tomorrow. Um, and that's what I love in the balance of communication with the horses and the self-reflection because I used to be so goal-oriented that I would go out and I'd work with the horse. And if we didn't achieve that task that we set out for, I'd be pissed. It was a failure. Yeah right? I was not enjoying it. He definitely was not enjoying it. <laughs> now I get to the point where, hey, we might go out with a goal. Let's say we go out with goal A, but you know what? B, C, and D has presented themselves. All right, let's 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 take that on. That's appropriate. That's still progress. It's still progression. It's still learning. It's still understanding. It's an opportunity for me to get better. And it's obviously a question the horse had because they have some level of misunderstanding. So why not just take that on? Now, we still didn't achieve A that we set out for, but we got B, C, and D out of it. It's a good day. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it does take – it's incredible the level of awareness the horse has taught me. And again, sometimes it's to a fault because I sit there and reflect and reflect and reflect rather than just moving on with something. But it's incredible yeah, what it's you can become as a human, as a horseman, as a horsewoman, as a parent, as a teacher, as a coach, as a mentor. Yeah, and and it, it's interesting because um, the as a as a professional with this much experience now, one of the things I specialize in when people come to a clinic is that they will have like a goal. So we'll put that out there as you know goal number one. And what's so cool is that they come and they've got goal number one, and and I can show them all these different things. But what they because if, the more you can see how everything is woven together. It gives me, I've got this view of how everything is woven together. So I can often give them an exercise that looks so unrelated to goal number one. And by the end of the same day, they're achieving and they can see the path clearly one or the other. Either they're achieving goal number one or they can all of a sudden see the path clearly to goal number one because I took them in a different direction. And so it looks like a roundabout way, but it's actually the shortest way. And a great example of this, for whatever reason, just popped into my mind, is the is the movie Karate Kid. You know, you've got the Karate Kid, like, sitting there, like, doing all this, like, wax on, wax off, <laughs> and he's doing all these things that he's like, I thought I was going to be learning about karate. Yeah. You know, and the teacher is like, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do that. And, and the student couldn't see at all how these were related. 
And then, and I think that's the gift that when you do find the person that you can look at, that you listen to, that you consume their free content and you understand, you're like, wow, they're really on the same, like, I understand their analogies. I understand what they're saying. This is the beauty of like, when I listen to all these different people and I say, heck yeah, I could like walk away and go ride off into the sunset and not produce content. It's because I do believe there is a ton of valuable content out there. The thing that can convince me to continue creating my own content is remembering, oh, yeah, that's right. I drove to New York once a month for nine months to take a writing class, writing as in with a pencil, (laughs) writing class from a particular teacher because when I read her book, her book spoke to me. Therefore, I knew that her communication style was so valuable I would drive nine hours one direction, sit in a class one night and drive nine hours back and do that once a month for nine months because that's, I knew I could get that much more jump forward in my learning because she resonated with me. And that's the thing that does keep me creating content because it's not for a lack of content in the world. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. My voice has a place here. So yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. The learning process is just, it's phenomenal on so many levels. It is. So as we wrap every show, I ask, it's a direction, it's a question directed around freedom, right? So in your personal and professional experience, maybe what is a limiting belief or a challenging time in your life? What were the lessons learned that afforded you more freedom, maybe in reflection or through that challenge specifically that you would offer somebody who might be traveling down the same road as you? The first one that comes to mind, because I probably could fill up a page full of them, is the recommendation to release the outcome. And the story behind that would be the... I remember... I'm going to tie together real like a, a couple of stories very short and quick. The first time, so when, when, I, when I started showing, the reason I started showing, because I said I really didn't want to, my husband baited me into it with this. He said, <laughs> yeah. I like baited, said, the term baited. I know, exactly. <laughs> like, and I knew it was bait. You're going to understand yeah. why, because I was so clearly at home and like so clearly enjoying not showing. And we had this little horse that he had bought. She had made the cutting fraternity finals. He said, the customer said, find us a horse that you can buy, that you can train to be a rainer that can then be a broodmare. So we found this really well-bred mare, been a cutter. He trained her. He won a bunch of money with her. Well, in the reigning, that means as you win more money, you show yourself out of different divisions. Yes. So first you're in limited, and then you can't be in the limited anymore, and it keeps going up. So he had won too much money to be in the limited division anymore, but the horse, her talent level was more in that level. So he turns to me after he's won all this stuff, and he says, the best thing for this horse would be if you would show it. Sucker. I was like, "Sucker!" oh, you know how to hook <laughs> how me, I because say? I will do <laughs> anything for a horse. If I can help a horse, I'll help a horse. Well played, well played. Best thing you could do for this horse is to help add to her record, because she'll be, a, she'll be more valuable as a broodmare. It'll give her a better career, better life like that. So I start showing this horse did not enjoy showing because there was so much pressure 
from the the clients are paying for, oh my gosh, if I go off pattern, all the money that was lost because I didn't do it right, the horse deserves somebody better than me, I can come up with a whole list of those. So I start showing. And I've and I'm experiencing this over and over again. Like my my curse was like being able to stop exactly where I was supposed to in a spin because you are dinged if you're like the width of a shoulder too early or too late. And so I went into this class and I was the last draw. That means I was the last rider in that class, which also means that I knew everybody else's score because that's just the nature of our game. No more pressure, right? I knew everybody's (laughs) score. I knew that this horse and I could score this high. So I go in and I show. And I'm showing to the very best of my ability. And I run down to, there's at the very end of this pattern, there's three sliding stops. I run down to the first sliding stop, sliding stop. Everything has been excellent. I'm judging it as I go, which you never should do, but I am. And I sliding stop, roll back. I come out of it. I want to show the judge that my horse is really good. So I lengthen the rein. As I lengthen the rein, I drop one of my reins on the ground. I am loping with the rein on the ground and I am trying to recite the rule book in my mind. This is one of those shocky kind of moments that I don't recommend, but this is what I experience. I'm like in shock. This is like when everything, like the car accident, when everything slows down, I'm having that moment and everything slows down. And I literally am running the rule book through my mind. And I think you can't use two hands. So I literally put my free hand behind my back because this needs to be off the table you, you're, you know, two hands aren't allowed. You can't touch your horse with your, with your free hand, with your, with any hand. So I lengthen one rein, the one rein that I have in my left hand. I'm riding right-handed. I still have my left rein because it's my right rein that fell out. I lengthen my left rein really fast. Right now I'm loping up around the end of the arena. I lean over. This rain, right rein is dangling, dra- you know, it's dragging, but it's because we're loping. It's kind of floating back. I reach down. I grab it. I pick up. I pick up speed and run down and do my last slide and stop. My left rein is ridiculously long. My right rein is ridiculously short. And it all happened. And my experience is, okay, at least I saved that. What I didn't even know was happening was the judge is standing up screaming at me to stop. But no, I'm in that car accident mode. So yeah, like I can't yeah. hear anything. The world doesn't exist outside of your view. Does yeah. Nothing exists. Because they had actually changed a rule between the judges' seminar that I'd gone to and now, because it's actually a really bad idea to lope around with the rain on the ground. So they now immediately started <laughs> disqualifying people. So I had been disqualified the moment that hit the ground. But I didn't know it, and I did yeah. all of that. I then proceeded to know that I would have won the class if I hadn't dropped the rain. And I went into the stands, and I beat myself up for, for like, all day. And the only thing that saved me was people kept coming up and going, that was freaky amazing. I don't know how you did it. Like, laying on your horse's... Like you're laying over with your hand behind your back and she never broke stride and she did all this stuff. And so I, that's when I decided to do my bridalist riding. I came home, started messing around and that accident brought me to the idea where I was like, you know what? I did have a lot of control. That's weird. I had a lot of control and I had tried bridalist riding when I was a teenager and I'd nearly been killed. Yeah. And so I realized this was like a leap where I was like, wait a minute, I'm way closer to that idea, that Black Stallion movie idea. I'm yeah, way closer yeah. to that now. I'm going to tie the reins to the saddle horn and experiment with this. Because when I was a teenager, I didn't tie the reins to the saddle horn and I nearly got killed. So I'm going to tie the reins up to the saddle horn. I'm going to play with this. And the next thing I did was I entered, so this is the fast forward version, but I entered the Quarter Horse Congress, bridalist. And you know what I do when I go in there? 
I totally failed. Really? I went in so nervous and so uptight and so many people were running and following me like, oh my gosh, she's really going to do it. Can you believe she's going to do it? This is what I'm hearing literally as I'm walking in to go show. Because I'm not kidding, like 20 people following me being like, she's really going to do it. And I go in there and I'm so tense and all my cues are in my body and my poor little horse is like, I guess this is a rollback. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. And it was a mess. It was a train wreck. If I'd done my lead changes, I would have won, but I totally left that entire part out because I was panicked after she did the first rollback that I didn't mean to do. I'd never recovered mentally, totally disqualified. You know what I did? I went home and I beat myself up for about two weeks. And this is when my husband walks through and he says, so you've been beating yourself up for a couple of weeks. Have you thought about maybe trying to enter the reigning fraternity at the, the freestyle at the reigning fraternity? And I was like, no, were you there at the Congress? Like, why would I do that? <laughs> and so I think about it a little bit and I go, I think I could do this. Long story short, because there's, there's a lot more, but long story short, when I went down to the reigning fraternity, I had this laser focus. I said, you know what? I cannot control the outcome. There could be a better horse and rider combo there. There could be more experience. There could be more talent. There could be, I don't know what. They could do things that have never been seen before. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk in that pen and I'm going to do what I have done at home a hundred times and what I have done in the practice pen 12 times. And what I know I can do with the only reason I blew it was because I let my mind get out of order when I was down there. And I'm going to go in there and every step of this ride will be exactly what I can do with this horse. And whatever that means for the outcome, I don't care. As yeah. long as when I get to the end of it, I did what I know I can do. And that's the ride you can Google and you can put Stacy Westfall 2003 and you'll see my first bridalist championship with the little mare Can Can Lena, which is the little mare I dropped the rain on, which is where all of this story started. And it was all because I learned how to invest, like you said, put all the action steps in and invest, but let go of the outcome that I can't control, which was the winning but do everything in my power to be like every step of this ride will be exactly what I know I can do. I love it. I love it. That's amazing. It is absolutely amazing when you focus on what you can't control and just get rid of what you can't. Don't even everything. give it the time of day, you know? Gone. You only get so many minutes in life. Well, I will tell you what, Stacy. it's been an incredible hour. Uh, I feel like we could probably have done maybe four or five hours in total. <laughs> No, I love it. I love peeling back the layers. I love talking about stuff in depth. I love getting to know people on a deeper level other than just accomplishments or a resume. You know, it's just, I was enthralled with all of it. And like I said, huge fan of your podcast as well. And we wish you the best of luck. And if there's anything that we can do here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast to help support you and your endeavors, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out. We'd love to help you any way we can. Well, thank you so much for having me and keep up the amazing work. I love podcasts and they're, it, it's, it's wonderful to have so many options out there for people to listen to because it is a great medium and you can do it while you're cleaning stalls. Heck I love yeah. it. Kill, killing that time, right? The, the white noise, productive white noise is what I'd like to tell people. That's right. <laughs> All right, Stacey, we have a good one and we'll talk down the road. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. 
That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. And Rain is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation at a cost less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.